Okay, we'd like to welcome you to part three of our current event and weekly Bible study for February 3rd, 2008. And this next part that is probably going to encompass many parts is going to be entitled Women Pastors, with a question mark. Biblical Qualifications for Pastors, Elders, Deacons, Spiritual Overseers, What Women Can Do for the Lord, um, Also the Function of a Biblical Wife, and the reason that I am really feel led to do this is because I have gotten so many emails, particularly from men lately, that are having all kind of biblical problems with their wives. And in virtually every account of this, it is that they're getting shown truth, not just from my ministry or from other ministries, and they're trying to apply it to their life, but their wives not letting them. Or their wives trying to stop this. Or their wives putting all kind of fear of man and pressure on them to stop it. And in some cases, they're actually using their pastors in order to do it. The pastors, most of the time, these lukewarm pastors, will sigh with their wives. And, and when we get into this further, I'm going to read you a letter from a, from a man. I, I got permission to read this back. I'm not going to give any personal information. But it's just a typical example. I cannot tell you how many times lately I've gotten requests for advice regarding this subject. So I think if we're going to do a study, we need to do a very, very complete study on this whole issue. And I don't mean to gang up on women or whatever, uh, because the reason that the church is in the state it's in is because the men have dropped the ball. So let me just state that right up front. If the men were, were taking a spiritual headship position in Christian families, I wouldn't have to really do a study on this. Okay? And trust me, when I was in my marriage that I was in, I dropped the ball. I let her rule over me, essentially for four years, and was miserable and did almost nothing for the Lord. So I'm not sitting here wanting to condemn all men as though I'm better. I've been there. I've done it. I know what living with at least the particular woman that I was with was like. And it was incredibly bad, unhappy. And, and I was uh, miserable the whole time. And I'll get into that a little bit more later. But, um, and I will say this, that she did everything she could possibly do to irretrievably break any marriage covenant that we had. And, just so you know. But anyway, Galatians 6.1 reads, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. See, this is how we're supposed to go to a brother if they're in a spirit of error. We're not, but see, most of the time what you get is somebody coming out wanting to just um, unload on you right off the bat, supposedly another Christian. And the Bible says you restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Now, I get this a lot where people attack me. Let's say they email me and these types of things. And they call themselves a Christian. But they're coming in a spirit of pride and arrogance, and I'm better than you, and you're wrong. But that's not how we're supposed to do this. Now, if you continually go against truth, if you can prove that, yes, there's a, there's a time when the Bible says, wherefore rebuke such an one sharply, that they may be found sound in the faith. There's a time to do that. The Bible also says, an heretic, after the second and third admonition, reject. An heretic is somebody who's departed from the faith. So there are times when you be very stern. Okay? But it's not when you initially go to a brother. So, then Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And you're going to see a lot of these women preachers said, well, I, was, I felt as though God called me to be a pastor. Well, no, he didn't, because God wouldn't contradict his word. That's all I have to know. I don't need anything else but the Bible to tell me this. And... Um, We've said this before, Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. Proverbs 18, 13, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame unto him. And that's what most people do, because they have some pet doctrine in their mind, or multiple pet doctrines, and you try to go to them with truth, they don't even know what the right Bible is, they're, they're, they're often some apostasy error, and they have all these preconceived notions about what they believe God is, or what, what what they believe God spoke to them, and it's contradictory to the Word of God. So they answer a matter before they hear it. Before you've ever even laid out the facts, they've already answered it in the head, in, their, in their, their mode, and what they say back is, don't confuse me with the facts, my mind is made up, essentially. And then John 8, 
31 and 32 says, Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay, so, if you continue my word, that's the main thing that we have to continue in to know that we're his disciples. I mean, if you just get, say some little salvation prayer and you go on living like the devil with no conviction of sin in your life, not continuing in his word, now I'm not saying we're saved by works, but I'm saying there's evidence of salvation following. In regard to being called a disciple, someone who's discipled by Christ, you continue in his word. And then it, and it says, then what's the byproduct of continuing his word? You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. That's really important the day and time we're living in, considering what 2 Thessalonians said, that God will send this strong delusion, that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned to receive not the love of the truth. Truth is very important. What truth you embrace. Galatians 4.16 says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? See, a lot of people, I become their enemies because I give them the truth. And they want to unload on me or this and that. And it's because I'm telling them the truth. So, this is going to start out um, regarding what can women do for the Lord. Now, there are two errors among Christians in regard to a woman's ministry. Some teach that women can do anything, which is not scriptural. And then others teach that women can do almost nothing, which is also not scriptural. Again, what we're going to try to attempt to do here today is give you balance. Biblical balance. Godly women have a large role in the work of God. Though they have some limitations and there are some restrictions upon their work, they should not be despised by the churches. The Bible often mentions women in an honorable manner. Now, the limitations of a woman's ministry, if we go to 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, or in this particular 11 through 14, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14, it says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve... And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. Now, what Adam did was, was no better, because he willfully, openly sinned. He wasn't deceived, he knew what he was doing. Whereas the woman was actually deceived and beguiled by the serpent. Okay, so I'm not giving the man a get-out-of-jail-free card pass here, trying to be Mr. Chauvinist. I'm just saying this is what the Bible says. So if these types of verses make you mad as a woman, then really your problem is with God. Now, there's a big push, particularly among apostate women preachers, and, and some men as well, to label Paul as, quote, the usurper. And all the books written by Paul are no good, they say. It's all bad. It's all good. And so they just pick and choose what they want to throw out. And yet I've seen these very same people quote books Paul wrote. <laughs> so, you know, they want to have it evidently both ways. So, the woman is to have a humble, quiet, teachable spirit. Now, this is ideal from a godly Christian perspective. I'm not saying when you go to a church, or if you're around other people that supposedly call themselves Christians, this is going to be the norm. It's not going to be the norm. Okay? But that just goes to show how far we've fallen in today's day and age. From away from... And, and the men are, are no, no less guilty. Okay? I mean, let me just reiterate that again. So, compare with... 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Who's fear? Who are they afraid of? Fear of God. Okay, so, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Now, again, that is also predicated upon the fact that if they're telling you, to, if, they're, if you're married to an unsaved person, they're telling you to do all kind of ungodly things, you have to make a choice also in, who, in this day whom you're going to serve. Okay? Because you can't serve two masters at the, at the same time. So there's got to be a balance there. I mean, if he's telling you to do everything against the Bible, you have to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? Okay? But if it doesn't violate Scripture... 
be in subjection to your own husbands. That if any obey not the word, they may also be, they may, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. In other words, by the example that the wives set. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Fear of God. Chaste conversation. A clean, pure, biblical conversation. Okay? And then verse 3. 1 Peter 3. three. Whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of the wearing of gold and on the putting of apparel. Oh uh, yeah, no gold dust? Like we talked about in the last thing. So, it's not supposed to be that way. 1 Peter 3, 4 then says, And let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. You don't see this a whole lot, and I tell you what, I didn't see any of it in the Pentecostal church that I was in the other night. A meek and a quiet spirit? Oh no, we got to have God's wonder women! they got to be in the pulpit. they got to be ruling over men. We're getting ready to have a rigged election where they put Hillary Clinton into the uh, White House. One of the most evil women that has ever roamed the earth. Totally, totally rigged election. Totally rigged. Just go to blackboxvoting.org. Do a keyword search for diebold voting machines. Look at the HBO special they ran, how they're all rigged. It's all been predetermined. It's all been predetermined at the Bill Burgers meeting last October, I believe it was. And even before that. I don't know anybody that would vote for her. And yet she's supposedly leading the polls? Give me a break. That, I tell you what. If there's anything that's ever made me want to get out of the United States, it's the thought of her in presidential office. Because if you think it's bad now with Bush, oh, we've probably seen nothing yet with that, when, if that Jezebel gets in office. Anyway, don't think I don't like her. Sorry, just kidding. Teasing. Anyway, um, so, there's two main restrictions on a woman's ministry. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over man, but to be in silence. Okay, that was the first verse we talked about. She's not allowed to usurp authority over man. Now, the word usurp in the um, 1828 Noah's Dictionary, Noah Webster Dictionary, which defines the King James words more accurately, means to seize and to hold in possession by force or without right. To usurp a throne, to usurp the prerogatives of a crown, to usurp power. Okay, so they're usurping the power or authority over man. Now, we're going to look at what the biblical qualifications are for a pastor next. And you're going to see that the biblical qualifications for a pastor, it doesn't even list the woman in there. It says over and over regarding this that they must be the husband of one wife, not the wife of one husband. So that's pretty much a foregone conclusion. Um, So this is one of the things, you know, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor usurp authority over man. She's not supposed to teach. She's not supposed to be in the pulpit teaching, preaching, doing these types of things. There's no biblical precedent for it. Show me any place in the New Testament where it talks about women being the head of churches. Women being, you know, there's godly women that we're going to talk about in the New Testament. And we're going to look at what their roles and what their functions were. Which is to be a woman's example. But it sure wasn't teaching, preaching, being Mr. Evangelist, calling yourself an apostle, prophet, all this other stuff. We're going to talk about that subject in totality. Okay, so, you know, just bear with me. This is kind of a long study because there's a lot to cover here. And not to say that I've done the definitive be-all, end-all study on this thing. I'm just trying to really cover the high points. I'm also going to be listing with the sermon three sermons that Pastor Weaver did. Two on the wife, one on the man. The biblical role of the man and the biblical role of the wife. And he covers some points that I'm not even going to get into. He does an excellent job. He's a wonderful expositor of the word. So, if we go further, obviously then, if she's not allowed to teach or usurp authority over a man, she can never hold a position such as a pastor. From a biblical standpoint, and we're going to look at the passages that relate to that. In contrast to this biblical restriction, we have churches today, such as the Yodi Full Gospel Church in South Korea, which is pastored by David Yongi Cho, which have many women pastors. It's, it's rampant. Rampant. Women pastors wearing their flowing robes going in and, 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 you know, in all kind of different denominations. Methodist, Lutheran, all kind of 
all kind of these different denominations. They go in there. The Pentecostals are notorious for it. Oh, Nonetta, you just told me that story about that one, um, your brother. And her brother, she just talked to him last night for like the first time in 30 years, and he relayed to her essentially how this wife that he was married to said that God called her to be a pastor of a Pentecostal church. So in doing that, she said God called him basically to divorce him. So, so supposedly, God calls her to be the pastor of this church. Now we know, and we're going to look at the verses in a second, there's no way God ever called her to do that. She's, she's believing a deceiving, lying spirit, or at bare minimum, her own heart, which is deceitful above all things. So she goes and she, she leaves her husband, divorces him, becomes pastor of a church, two totally unbiblical things. She had no biblical right, from that standpoint, to leave her husband. And... She finds out, though, that he um, he has this big, what, is it a life insurance or retirement? She has He has this over $100,000 in retirement that's coming to him, but because she divorced him before he was a certain age, she's not going to be entitled to any of it. So what she does, she goes back to him, has the audacity to go back to him, convinces her to remarry her, he turns to specific age, she cleans out his bank account, his retirement, and then divorces him again. And said, God told her to do all of it. Is that pretty accurate? What a stinking abomination. But, she said, hey, God told me to do it. And again, if you think God is telling you to do something, compare it to what the Bible clearly says. And if it contradicts the Bible, then God never told you. Remember, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I mean, what an abomination. What a great example, too, for her, her congregation. Mrs. Pastor. Give me a break. So, let's just look at the biblical qualification. And I know I've covered this in some previous teachings, but this is going to be a full study just devoted to this subject. And we're going to look at the whole thing about the women who supposedly prophesy, or who prophesy in Acts. We're going to look at um, Deborah. Because that is always what's brought up by these Deborah, she was in Judges. And, okay, we're going to look at all that very thoroughly. So, if we go to 1 Timothy 3, 1-7. 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 from the King James. These are the biblical qualifications for a pastor, elder, deacon, spiritual overseers, whatever you want to, you know, whatever title you want to give them. And also bishops are also mentioned here. Then it says, this is a true saying, if a man, if a man... Desire the office of a bishop. Now, a bishop can be... Um, well, okay, the bishop is... Let's just read this. From the 1828 Webster's... Um, Noah Webster's 1828. Again, which more accurately defines the words as they were written in the King James Bible. It defines the term bishop as this. Quote, and either an overseer, a spiritual superintendent, ruler, or director applied to Christ... And the example it gives is, ye were sheep going astray, but now return to the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. 1 Peter 2. Now, I love this dictionary because it gives Bible verses in it. It's really cool. And then it says, the second is, in a primitive church, the bishop is a spiritual overseer, an elder, or presbyter. One who had pastoral care over a church. So, somebody could say, oh, well, yeah, this is just talking about bishops, like in the Catholic church or something. No, 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 no. No, this is, this is what the word bishop means. It's, it's pastor, elder, spiritual overseer, the whole enchilada. Spiritual and superintendent, overseer. Um, the same persons are in this chapter called elders and presbyters, overseers. Um, so anyway, that's what it means. So, back to 1 Timothy 3, 1-7. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop, then, must be blameless. That says, if a man desireth. It doesn't say if a man or a woman. It says a man. Very clear. It says, a bishop, then, must be blameless. First thing he's got to be is blameless. The next thing is the husband of one wife. Oh, my. Well, it doesn't say the wife of one husband. It says the husband of one wife. You understand the script in the scriptures. It's such a foregone conclusion that a woman cannot be a pastor or a bishop or a spiritual overseer or an elder or a deacon. It's such a foregone conclusion. It's not even. 
mentioned hardly because it's such a foregone conclusion. It's not a point of debate. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, and of good behavior, given hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, which means greedy of money. That would eliminate most of them because they're hirelings that have no true love for the sheep and a hireling is somebody that does it for money. I'm not saying they're all that way, I'm just saying most of them. And all these other categories. What about all these other ones? Do you understand how many people right now that are supposedly in the pulpit that were, if they were called, they still disqualified themselves? And most of them aren't even God called. Most of them, it's such a mess. But the Bible said it was going to be this way, so it shouldn't surprise us. But not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house well, one, one that ruleth well his own house. That's another thing that a lot of times does not happen with pastors. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. How many times do you hear, oh, the pastor's kid, they're nuts and they're crazy, they're twice as rebellious. Well, it says that having his children in subjection with all gravity. These are things that can disqualify you from being a pastor. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Good point. Most pastors that I know don't rule their own house well. So how can they take care of the church of God? Not a novice, meaning like a little baby beginner, Christian, lest he be lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. See, the main thing you have to worry about is pride. Because once you get to an elevated position, that tendency to be proud is going to be there. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. He must have a good approach. uh, A good report, I'm sorry. So that pretty much sums it up. And I'm sorry, but women are not part of this scenario at all. I'm not being chauvinistic, I'm just quoting the word of God. So if we go further, now let's talk about deacons. 1 Timothy 3, and then we start at verse 8 through 15. We're going to continue. Likewise, must the deacons be grave... Not double-tongued. Grave means like serious. Okay? Must be grave, not double-tongued. Meaning you speak one thing one minute and one thing another. Remember, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Not given to much wine. Not greedy of filthy lucre. This, uh, much the same qualifications. Holding the mystery of faith and a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Okay? Even so must their wives be grave. Again, it's a foregone conclusion. Their wives must be grave. Because they're men. Their wives must be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Do you know how many deacons, that even if they were qualified, their wives disqualify them? Because they're slanderers, they're gossipers, they're backbiters, they're the ones that control the churches most of the time. I've heard pastors admit it. Well, bless God, I'm the head, but she's the neck that turns the head. How many times have I heard that? Okay. I don't really see scriptural precedence for that. I understand that, that, you know, if you're equally yoked together with a godly woman, and she gives, and and you go to her to to, um, confirm things and this type of thing, or, or, you know, that's one thing. But we're talking about the woman ruling over the man when they get home. And determining what goes on at the church. He's just, many times, a figurehead. And the women of the church actually rule the place because the men have let them do that. It's not really the woman's fault in that regard because the men have let them get away with it. They should have put their foot down a long time ago, but they never did. So then it turns into a big mess. If you let a woman rule over you, she will. I'm telling you right now, I'm not being chauvinistic. I've been there. You be a weak-willed, little spineless jellyfish, and your wife will start to rule over you. Somebody's going to wear the pants in the relationship. And you either step up to the plate and do it, or you don't do it. Now, if you've been in a marriage, and you've never wore the pants, and you've let her rule over you, you're in a world of mess. The only, and again, the only one that can straighten that thing out is the Lord. But you're in a world of mess if you've never taken the biblical role as a, as a husband if you've never done that, and you try to all of a sudden one day just start wearing the pants, and I'll tell you what, that's a rough, rough situation. 
rough situation. The Lord's the only one, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that has that can straighten that out. Okay, but that's why the Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If your marriage was built on that foundation where your wife ruled over you from day one and she married you because she knew she was going to be able to rule over you and manipulate you. Now, I'm not saying the opposite couldn't be true. But if that's what happened with your marriage, oh boy, man, you're in for a rough time. You start to bow up to her and start to do this, oh man, she's not going to want any of this. No way. Uh-uh. You know, anything that has two heads is a monster. I remember my pastor used to say that. <laughs> and it's true. You, you've been, you've been, the, uh, you've been un- below her and she's been the head and all of a sudden you want to pop your head up there. Uh-uh. That's not going to work too well. So, um, there's no easy answer out of that either. I can't give somebody an easy, easy, I can give them the Bible. I can tell them what the Bible says. That's why I'm doing this study. So if we go further, it says, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. (laughs) Right there. The deacons are the, see, you can't have women deacons either. Ruling their children in their own house as well. That's what the wives are to do. Ruling their own their children in their house as well. That's their main sphere of influence that God has called them to. And I'm going to confirm that with other scriptures. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchase to themselves a good degree. It's an honorable thing. And great boldness and faith by which is in Christ Jesus. The problem is, is you have churches that aren't even really churches. They're corporations. They're 501c3 corporations. They get their right to exist by the government. They're unequally yoked together with the government, which is being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. They went to the they went to the uh, state to get their licensing so they can preach, which is totally unbiblical. Show me anywhere in the Bible where it says to do that. They went to a seminary, which most of the time ruins them, and says, "Oh, the older manuscripts are better, and you need to use the NIV and all these other false perversions." So they're using the wrong Bible. They're 501c3 corporation. They're in it for the money so much of the time. They're hirelings, which have no true love for the sheep. I mean, again, your foundation's been just totally corrupted. It's a bad situation. That's why I came out of it. People ask me all the time, where do I go to church? Do you know anybody? No, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Now, I'm not saying there's not churches out there, like Pastor Slattery up in Ocala, or uh, Pastor Weaver in Georgia. Uh, there's others, but there's not a lot. You know, there's not a lot. So if we go further, it says, uh, let's see. They purchased to themselves a good degree, this is the deacons, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave in the house of God. Remember what I just talked about in my last teachings where there was all this pandemonium going on? The women were really the ones ruling? And then all this unbiblical stuff said and done? See, there's a way that you're supposed to behave in the house of God. But that's all been thrown out the window a long time ago in this country. Anything pretty much goes. But it's important to God how you behave. Not only in the house of God, but in your... the other six days of the week, too. So, that thou oughtest to know how to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now, let's go to Titus 1, 5 through 9. Titus 1, 5 through 9 says, For this cause left I thee in Crete. Paul writing to Titus, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city. Now, he's telling... Titus to do this. These are things that are wanting, that elders need to be ordained in every city. Now, elders could also be, in that regard, in this time frame, in description of a pastor. Okay, a spiritual overseer. And then it says, As I had appointed thee, if any be blameless, these are the qualifications, the husband of one wife, here we go again, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, this was very important, how they ruled their own house, how they ruled their own family, for a bishop must be... I heard a preacher one time at a church I was at. I mean, I loved him as a person. But his family was... Whoa! I'm talking ungodly stuff they had done. Over and over. 
from the from his kids to the grandchildren. I mean, it was a mess. Stuff stuff that I can't even hardly utter. I, it wouldn't even be appropriate for me to say. And yet they go and they're accepted in the church. One the one guy, uh, his son, he was he did something that I could not believe, and it was documented uh, in the newspaper. And um, he was the director of the music, and he was allowed to stay. And he actually tried to step down from what I heard, but the, the uh, his dad wouldn't let him. Oh, no, I don't think we should do that. And I've heard that same pastor from the pulpit basically say, Well, you know, technically, if you look at this, I really shouldn't be a pastor. And then he just kind of laugh and go on. It's not a laughing matter to God. See, I don't call myself a pastor because I'm not the husband of one wife. I'm not called to be a pastor, I know that. More of a teacher and a watchman. And I'm, I sure ain't perfect either. I'm not, you know. <laughs> but I'm not the husband of one wife. I don't even, I don't consider my, you know, I don't even call myself. I was, I was in a church one time, independent, fundamental Baptist, King James only, unregistered church, supposedly. And uh, they wanted to, the pastor wanted to promote me to deacon. And I was at a deacon's meeting and he was like, he brought this up and I didn't even know about it. And I'm like, I like put my head down. I'm like, I didn't know what to say because I didn't, you know, I felt bad because it was, it was, in a way it was nice what he was doing, but it really wasn't nice. But, and then the, the head deacon who actually was qualified. I love that man. And uh, he said, um, he said, well, he said, Pastor, he says, I just think with, you know, Scott being single and, and all the other things like there, and he wasn't trying to, like, get in his face. He wasn't trying to rebuke an elder, but, and I agreed with him. He says, you know, he's, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm not qualified to be a deacon because I'm not married. I'm not qualified to be a pastor either. <laughs> so I'd be the first one to admit it. And, um... Thank God he didn't pursue that anymore. Because I would have had to finally tell him, no, I can't do this. I'm not qualified. But see, all the other, most of the other deacons were totally unqualified. They were in ungodly marriages God had never called them to. They were unbiblically divorced, most of them. There was a lot of bad stuff going on there. Those same deacons came back to vote him out later. The chickens came home to roost. Be sure your sin will find you out. He had done a lot of good things, but it was the it was that thing that came back to bite him. So, anyway, these are just things I've seen in my own life. Um, so it says, um, Bishop, you know, having faithful children, not accused of ruling or in rioting, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober. Just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. That he, notice how it says he and he, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. That's how we base our arguments, on sound doctrine. That's what, that's what I try to base all these studies on, sound doctrine, Bible verses. Now notice in this particular passage in Titus, the term for elders and bishop are used interchangeably. Okay? Pastors. So hopefully we've proven that a woman has no right, from a biblical standpoint, to be in the pulpit. To be teaching. I don't believe she has a right like Joyce Myers. Well, I'm, Joyce Myers' ministry is just to, to women. Oh, give me a break. She's acting as a pastor or a spiritual overseer. She's acting in that capacity. <laughs> And don't tell me she doesn't have mixed crowds when, when, because I've seen pictures of the crowds. There's men in there, some men. Women follow her like she's a god. Joyce can do no wrong. Her and her really, really, really super short hair, dressed up in her fancy clothes, multi-million dollar mansion complexes. She looks like she's about as submissive as a rattlesnake to me. Don't tell me she's in subjection to her own husband. Please! But you know what? He let her do it. He's just as much to blame. He let her get away with it. Where's his backbone? Now again, I've been there, done it. I've been Mr. Backboneless One. I've been there. I know how hard it is. 
I'm just saying, this is a major ministry here. That's been going on for years and years and years. And this man lets his wife rule over him and have her own ministry. Call herself whatever. It's unbiblical. It's ungodly. And she teaches some really ungodly stuff. I can send out the attachments on this where you can read and document her own quotes and her own stuff. Now, I got this article a little ways back and it was entitled, Baptist Megachurch Makes History Electing a Woman to the Pulpit. See, the Baptists were pretty strong in this for most of the time, but now they're succumbing too. Julie Pennington Russell was voted on Sunday... The reason that I guarantee you the reason her name's Pennington Russell is because she didn't want to totally take her husband's name. So that's what women do many times when they don't want to take the husband's name totally. They'll split the name up. So Julie Pennington Russell, whether she was her maiden name was Russell or Pennington, who knows? That's how they get around that. That just shows you what kind of subjection she's in. Julie Pennington Russell was voted on Sunday to become the senior pastor of the Atlanta area megachurch. What an abomination. The historic decision that went without dispute makes the congregation the largest church in the Southern Baptist heritage to be led by a woman. Well, I'm sure Satan's so happy over this. He's just brimming from ear to ear. Uh, this is from Reverend Albert Moore Jr. says, Without a doubt, this is a major development. President, uh, He is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary one of America's preeminent leaders, in a blog post, um, he's, uh, he said, without a doubt, this is a major development. What, I don't, I'm not sure where he was going with that, but then it says, in a closed session on Sunday, after the morning worship, some 500 members elected the married mother of two, well, at least she was married, husband of, wife of one husband, you know, she was trying to be halfway biblical, I guess, just teasing, uh, elected the married mother of two to lead the 2,700-member church. According to the Waco Tribute Herald, only five hands of dissent were visible at most, said the First Baptist interim pastor, Doc Hollingsworth. Five votes of protest out of a 2,700-member congregation, out of the 500 members that were there to elect her. See, they deserve her. Because they elected her. And the Bible talks about, and my people love to have it so. These wolves in sheep clothing. And they want it. They want a woman to rule over them. Unbelievable. So let's go further with this limitation of women's ministry. Okay, so let's talk about the limitations of a woman's ministry. We'll go further. And the second point here is she is not allowed to teach men. Uh, now, this does not mean that a woman can never talk to a man about the Lord. Um, I do not believe it is wrong for a woman to give her testimony or share Christ with a man in a casual setting. Okay, it's not like you got to go around like a deaf mute or something in that regard. But we're talking about primarily a woman in a teaching mode in a church, behind a pulpit, in a, you know, that type of setting. Teaching Sunday schools, these types of things. We're going to go further with that in a second. Uh, it, verse 12 reads, uh, this is in First. Timothy, I believe, 1 Timothy um, 2, verse 12, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over man, but to be in silence. Okay? When it comes to the teaching mode and role, in regard to a church setting, she is to be in silence. Okay? That's just what the Bible says. Now, what 1 Timothy 2.12 means, that women cannot teach with authority, this is in the context, which is what is the context here. Examples are teaching from the pulpit, Sunday school classes, Bible conferences, Bible colleges, and on the radio, TV, and internet. Now, there's a lot of women that have internet ministries. Internet radio, radio ministries, it's unbiblical. Number one, how, how would you... I believe it's not right for her to do it anyway, but you know you're, you're teaching to men too. You're taking authority. You're acting in a spiritual overseer mode. I'm sorry, but you are. When you get into these issues. So, this is by far, and the, and the radio, TV, and internet is by far the greatest way that women preachers reach not only women, but other men as well. So this isn't some little trifle thing about the radio, TV, and in the, in the internet. 
That's the main way they're reaching people. Because it's, it's a medium that is used to obviously reach more people than you can have in a local private setting. Now, Doug had brought up a good point too, where in the old time, uh, was it Reformed Presbyterian churches, where they had the hierarchy set up where they had um, all, all Presbyterian, and not to say it's that way anymore, but in times previous, when they had um, elders, they had teaching elders and non-teaching elders. And the non-teaching elders were typically over the um, the teaching elders as like, how did you refer to it? As guarding their guarding the doctrine. In other words, these are kind of like they're spiritually checking up on one another. Okay? From a biblical standpoint. The deacons were typically used or were particularly referred to um, in regard to the finances of the church and in regard to um, many of the things that required uh, physical activity to implement those types of things. Am I, am I being accurate there? And Doug also brought up that these non-teaching elders would a lot of times, a couple of times a year, go to these people's houses, um, the people that were underneath them, which would probably include the whole congregation. Uh, I would I imagine it would include the deacons and the, and the teaching elders, and, and check up on them and kind of you know, see what the spiritual life was at their household. Okay, because if you're going to be blameless in church, you need to be able to be blameless at home too. You just don't live it at church and then live like the devil at home. That's an abomination to God. So that was important. But now they've got these these non-teaching elders as women over these Presbyterian churches where they're doing this. So they have the woman ruling over the whole church, even though she may not even be with the one in the pulpit. It's just crazy what's going on here. So. When a woman preaches, she's taken authority in a role that God has never called her to, as God will not contradict His Word. And His Word is very clear on the matter, as we've already seen. I mean, can you consider these verses that we've just read, just this little part, we're just getting started. Can you consider the verses that I've read an endorsement for women preachers? How could you twist Scripture just with what we've read to condone it? You can't do it. It's clear. As there's no more authoritative thing to do in the world than to teach or preach from the Bible. That's a very authoritative thing to do, very serious thing. God's word forbids a woman to do this. In regard to the, the rules that we've just talked about. Uh, now God tells us the reason for these limitations. In verse uh, 13 it reads, For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So it makes the, the it alludes to the fact that because of the way women are made, they can tend to be more deceived. I think this is the very reason why when I go to these Pentecostal things where it's so emotional and there's more there's a preponderance of women and women rule over that particular denomination much of the time. Um, it's because they have that tendency. Okay, now again. I'm not being chauvinistic. I'm just saying what the Word of God is. I'm not saying a man can't be deceived. But I'm saying as far as propensities go, the Bible's very clear on that. So then we go, first, the order of creation requires these limitations. The woman was created after the man to be his helpmeet, not his head. How, where, where does it say that? Okay, let's read. 1 Corinthians 11.8 For the man is not for the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Well, why? Why? Because when God formed the woman, he took a rib from Adam and formed Eve. That's why it says the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Because the woman was actually formed from the rib of the man. Oh, now you're really getting chauvinistic. Well, I'm sorry, the Bible is clear on the matter. Okay? So then it says in verse 9, 1 Corinthians, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Oh, wow, now you've really gone overboard. Heresy. No, it says it right here. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Well, I don't serve a God like that. Well, you probably don't. You go on your, your way, you're not serving God, you're right. Everything's backwards in the church, that's the problem. I shouldn't, even have to, I shouldn't even have to do a teaching on this. But it's so far gone and so opposite 
of what it should be, that this seems like something totally foreign and evil, particularly to a woman who's wearing the pants in their relationship. They don't want to hear truth. I make no apologies for the Word of God. I'm sorry. It's very, very clear on this matter. Now, second, the nature of a woman requires these limitations. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. The woman was not created to lead, but to serve. And she was given the equipment to do the latter and not the former. Again, am I to make apologies for that? The Bible is very clear on it. As a result of this, she is more easily deceived. Because she wasn't created to lead, but to serve. So she's if she's to follow her biblical husband, hopefully, who's the head of the house, he's going to keep her from that deception. Being the biblical head of the house, he should be keeping her from that. If he's grounded and rooted in the word of God, and so is she, they're not going to be deceived. But if she's the head, she's in a place where God never ever called her. Stop it. She's in a place God never ever called her. So if you put her in that role, she's going to be easily, more easily deceived. Why do you think Joyce Myers and these other women preachers are so deceived? Because they're in a role that God never ever called them to. From a biblical standpoint, do they have no leg to stand on? Genesis 2, 22-24, let's read that. Genesis 2, 22-24. And the rib... Now, I'm going to make this PDF available online. You can go through. All these verses are already listed. If you want to print this out... should have probably said that first. You can print out the PDF prior to the message and you can follow it all the way through. Okay? Um, Genesis 2, 22-24. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he woman. Woman. I've heard some people say it's a... Man with a womb. Okay, she's not a man, but you get the picture. Okay? And brought her unto the man. So, he made the woman from the man, from the rib, and he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife... And they shall be one flesh. Now this is in regard to a biblical marriage union. Okay? In this way, since a rib was taken from a man to make a woman, when they biblically are joined in marriage, they complete each other and become one flesh. Does that make sense? That's, that's really cool, I think. That's, that's awesome. From a biblical standpoint... As a result of the fall, Genesis 3.16 says, Under the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Now this is a result of the fall, of the sin in the Garden of Eden. What was the consequence? What was the reaping what you sow? That we reap to this very day. I will greatly, he said unto the woman, God said to the woman, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. But why isn't that preached on in the churches? Oh, our lives are just supposed to be whatever, wonderful. But he said, I'm going to greatly multiply your sorrow in thy conception. In sorrow shall thou bring forth children. Let me tell you something. I've been by my ex-wife's side for a couple, my little girl being born, and another baby. Wasn't mine. I was trying to be a nice guy. But, praise the Lord, God used me to prevent that. She was going to abort that baby. So, oh, Anyway. I've been by her side. I've seen two births. I do not envy women. You are tougher than me. I admit it. That looks like the most painful thing I have ever seen in my life. I'm talking new. I am not meant to be in that sphere of... I am a chiropractor with a specialty in clinical nutrition. I'm not meant to be in that sphere. Who knew? Ooh. I have great respect for you from that standpoint because that looks really, really painful. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in. So, anyway, 
It says, And Sarah shall not bring forth children. I can confirm that. I've been there, seen it. Not done it, but seen it. And then it says, And thy desire shall be to thy husband. Now this is what God says it's supposed to be. Her desire shall be to her husband. To be his helpmeet. To, to be, you know, not the head. But he will lead her. And he shall rule over thee. It says it right there. It says it in the New Testament too. Wives be in subjection to your own husbands. Why, don't, why aren't these verses ever preached on? I bet you Joyce don't preach these verses. Can you imagine her? Well, bless God, women, I'm going to tell you about how we should be subjected to our husbands today. Can you imagine that sermon? Now, I am going to show you by example how we need to be in subjection to our husbands. How can you show me that, Joyce? You've never been. You're not even doing what the Bible clearly commands. <laughs> you need to step down now. If you want to truly start being in subjection to your husband, weep and lament. Let your laughter be turned unto mourning. And your joy unto shame. You're, and your glory and in your shame. That's unbelievable. But I tell you what, you, you, if a woman, if you have a woman and you say anything against her and she follows Joyce, oh boy, they'll come unglued. Doesn't matter how much truth you put in front of them. Why? Because she has her own little cult. That's all it is. You realize this is a matter of hellfire damnation as well. This is a matter of, if you're following somebody who is a devil in the flesh, and you're believing what she's telling you, and you're following this woman who was never called to do anything that she said. And I'm just using her as an example. There's many more. You realize you're risking your own eternal salvation because if you're that deceived to follow, then uh, there's other areas you're deceived as well. Uh, it's just something to think about. I'm just saying, you, you, it's very important what truth you embrace. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Remember, now talk about work salvation. I'm just saying, you, you, something very, very, very important to the Lord. So, now let's go further. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35 says, Let your woman keep silence in the churches. Now, here's another confirmation. Remember, the Bible says, Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. We've already had several. We've had way more than two or three in the old and the new already. And I haven't even hardly gotten into the sermon, into this teaching. Let your woman keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. This is in regard to women causing a ruckus. Or I remember that Remember that church we were at, Nonetta? It was a church we were in, and uh, there were these two women that would show up every once in a while. And they were, you know, they would come late. They, they dressed like, to be honest with you, like slobs. They were about as unsubmissive as a rattlesnake. And they just were jabber, 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 jabber all throughout the sermon. And they were everything that this verse says not to do. Everything. And this is why, this is a great example of it was a shame for a woman to speak in a church. Okay? And I, I believe this is in, also primarily uh, in reference to them speaking out and teaching other men as well. I don't think, you know, it's not like you've got to be some deaf mute in a church. But I mean, when it comes to doctrinal issues, if they have, if they're not sure about something, I believe what this is indicating is either, you know, write it down, have the question in your heart, and then ask their husbands at home. Because if you're asking your husband during a service, you're going to be interrupting the service, and then he's not going to hear what the preacher's bringing forth either. Okay, so the time to do it is at home. Yeah, Doug brought, just brought up another good point where the women in these churches, particularly ones the liberal, and this letter that we'll read later, we'll, you'll see this, where the woman actually goes to the pastor instead of her own husband, and her husband's wanting to do the biblical thing, but of course the pastor's not wanting her to do the biblical thing. That's the norm. So they go to somebody they know is going to give them the answer they want to hear. That's what it boils down to. If they thought they were really going to get a real biblical answer from the pastor, they wouldn't go to him. But they know that they're not. So they go to the pastor. I'm not saying every time, but I'm saying in this particular case, the story that this email that I'll read later, it's the same deal. So, um, 
these are just, you know, what the Bible is very clear on, these types of things. Now, understand, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians was a very... The whole message in Corinthians 1 and 2 was in regard to a church that was quickly letting itself go into apostasy. Things were not being done in decency and order. I mean, it was all kind of crazy stuff going on in that church. Okay? And this was a rebuke to the church. This was part of the rebuke. Where it says, Let your woman keep silence in the churches. For it's not permitted for them to speak. They're commanded to be under obedience. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. For it's a shame for the woman to speak in the church. Now, this is referring to teaching and prophesying as well. Um, the woman is not allowed to speak in, out in the church services in the sense of teaching or preaching. This also forbids women to speak out and disturb the meetings with their questions and comments. This does not mean a woman can ever utter anything in church, I believe. I mean, that, that would be, you know, like... But, again, this was a rebuke to a church that had gotten out of control. Okay? Um, things like singing and testifying in due order. Okay? If there is an open question and answer time. I don't believe there's any problem participating in that. What Paul is warning about is disorderliness as that was plaguing the Corinthian church. And this was a big problem in that church. Now, I got a letter a while back from a man, and I'm going to read you this. And um, I'm going to tell you my answer as well. So one of the main, this is the question, one of the main arguments between my wife's dad and myself has been about women preachers. He says, I understand the scripture when it says women are to keep silent in the Lord's house and not to usurp authority over men. The things my daddy-in-law comes back to me are Acts 2, 17-21, where Peter tells the men of Judea that their daughters would prophesy. Oh, okay, so we're going to use one part of scripture to make all the other obvious parts of none effect. It's like they're playing scripture against scripture. And we're going to look at this portion of scripture and see that you, this is a typical Pentecostal ploy. This is how cults get started. Where they'll take one scripture out of context and ignore all the other ones that are totally obvious. Okay? We're going to look at this in depth. Uh, then he says, I have trouble explaining this to him. When does this actually take place in time? Now he's asking about in Acts 17-21 through 21, where Peter tells the men of Judea that their, pro their daughters would prophesy. Okay, we're going to look at when does this take place. And then he says, With him being an assembly of God, he believes that the events Peter talks about in the above scripture was given to the church at the Azusa Street Revival. Now the Azusa Street Revival is kind of the modern formation in, um, of the modern day Pentecostal charismatic movement. And it was a wicked thing. Even the people that, um, that guy Seymour, uh, that the, he was a black preacher over that church, and he even described the events of the Azusa Street as a lot of things that were totally out of order and just flat out wicked. People slithering around on the ground like snakes, all kind of weird, crazy manifestations that are now the norm in the Pentecostal circles. But at the time, that would have been like really out of place. Then he says, I've studied the Azusa Street Revival. I believe it is Satan's way of getting into the modern church. Now, if you want to know more about that, I can send you a whole Word document on the Pentecostal charismatic deception. And it gets into the Azusa Street Revival. Okay? Um, he says, I believe it was Satan's way of getting into the modern church, which he's right. There were very demonic goings-on at that meeting. He also refers to Deborah. Oh, this is the one you'll always hear. Deborah. This is, the, this is the total justification for women preachers, most of the time. The prophetess and the judge, and all the other women in the Old Testament that were leaders of the Israelites. A couple years ago I agreed to study via scripture and the internet the things that the Assembly of God did believe. I did this, I studied the scriptures they gave me, I went to the official website for the Assembly of God, I went to the website for the Azusa Street Mission, I did all of this, and now I am more convinced than ever that all the groups that came out of Azusa Street Revival of 1906 are nothing more than cults of Satan sent forth to deceive the very elect. Amen! Well, that's what we've been talking about today, haven't we? The whole first part of the study. Now, I still am waiting for my daddy-in-law to do the same... He expects me to study what he believes, but refuses to study what I believe. Oh, that's classic. See, they'll only, they'll only give you what they believe. They won't look at what you give them. 
No, no, because that was that was not for now. Uh-uh. God's doing a new thing. The new wine. The wave. The river. The manifest sons of God. Joel's army. Oh, yes. God's got to do a new thing. Give me a break. Truth be known, he can't study what I believe with the NSAB perversion. New American Standard Bible perversion is what he was in reference to. Any help on this matter would be very appreciated. So this is my reply. Yeah, this was last May I actually uh, gave him this reply. Uh, tell you what, I probably want to go to my second part of the teaching now. Probably be a good place because I'm... Well, hold on here. Yeah, I'm going to go to the, the... Actually, this will be the fourth part of the teaching. So, we'll go there. And God bless you.